0: Welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. So tonight at the end of camp, and if we can picture for a few minutes that we would walk into a camp environment, pretend that you haven't had much sleep, Pretend that the person in your dorm has been snoring all night, but something inside of you says, I have a moment to capture something of God in this place tonight. And what I love about this youth ministry in this church is this is this is not a golf course church. This, this, this church is not like you're in the library, so there'll be no golf claps in this room tonight, and there will be no, there'll be no pitter-pattering, but there will be passion, and there'll be praise. So if you like it tonight, tell me. If you don't like it, tell someone else later on. Is that all right? Fantastic. Let's pray. God, tonight we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you that tonight as we've laid foundation over the last few days of what you want to speak and what you want to say, that God, we wouldn't have just created moments in our world, but Lord, this weekend as young people and as a church, that we would set up monuments that would become messages for you. God, we pray tonight as you speak to us as individuals, but Father, corporately tonight, that you would speak specifically to people's worlds and people's lives, But not just to our past and not just to our present, but God, to our future, our tomorrows, into everything that you have for our lives. We thank you, God. Tonight, like the camp said, we want to give you all the praise and all the honour. We respect you, we recognise you, and we thank you, God, tonight. Amen. Fantastic. Turn to someone and say, alter me. Turn to someone else and say it like you mean it. Say, alter me. Alter me. Tonight I want to talk to you from the subject of altars. For those of you who don't know, the Bible talks very specifically through the Word about these things called altars. And we have a picture, sometimes we have this thing called an altar call where we come down the front and we respond to a message. But God, through the Scripture and through different spaces in time, He creates moments for men and women to respond through creating an altar to Him. The Old Testament would show us that altars were set up as places and spaces that they would come and sacrifice animals. They would come and it would be a, a recognition and it would be a representation of the sin and, and the, the covenant that they would have with God as a people of God. The Israelites would come and they would slaughter the best of the best animal that they would have with excellence. They come the first time we see it in the scriptures with Cain and Abel in Genesis when God says, come and sacrifice to me, offer with your honor and with your worship something of an altar sacrifice in your life, we begin to understand that this God that we serve, this God that created heaven and earth and with one breath, he born our life into existence, the planets were formed, is a God that wants to be on it. It's a God that deserves to be on it. And an altar, the Hebrew word for altar just means where flesh things die, where flesh things die. Die, alter me tonight. The Bible says, if you turn with me, are you okay tonight? Genesis chapter 35 verse 1. Genesis 35 verse 1. The Bible says this. It's talking of a man called Jacob. It says, then God said to Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God. I love that God talks about himself. Don't you love it? God says to Jacob, go and make an altar to God. Why not just say, go go make an altar to me? God's very deliberate because He wants to remind you of who He is in your life. God says, go and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourself and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I'll make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way at which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, their earrings which were in their ears. Because that's where earrings go, in your ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which is in Shechem. The story continues to unfold as we see it. It says that Jacob would then round up his family. He would round up his children. He had a few and he would round them up and he would take them back to Bethel. Bethel simply means the house of God. It was a holy place. And what the Bible shows us and to understand and bring you into the picture that we're talking about of Jacob's life tonight, let me fast rewind, sorry, rather back a few scriptures, back a few years to when Jacob is born. Jacob's name actually means heel grabber. It means supplanter. It means fraudster, cheapskate. You see, what Jacob did from the very first time he breathed air is he grabbed hold of his brother's ankle as he were born. They were twins. Esau, who was born first, and Jacob, the second born. And Jacob came out, and from day dot, he was a mama's boy. Right from the onset, he loved his mum, and his mum loved him. He wasn't the oldest. He he stood no right to receive an inheritance. He stood no right to begin to walk into the blessing of a father. But here was Jacob that as he began to grow up. He began to learn the art of what his name would articulate. He began to learn the art of what his name would suggest to us. That he would begin to cheat people. Out of things. Even his own brother, the Bible tells us, he robbed his inheritance from him. His mom and he planned it. From that day on, something began to change with Jacob. Something began to take place in his life. We learn that even his father in law, Laban, was a cheapskate who tricked Jacob into marrying the girl that he never wanted to marry. And it says that Jacob, as he grew, grew in fear. He grew in fear with God, but he also grew in fear with everyone else that he had relationship with. And that's why we read that scripture there where it says, even in my distress, God has been with me. He knew what it was to have a relationship with God in the trial and in the tough time. But at the same time, there were some things that he needed to deal with. And here's Jacob fearing from his life, hearing of his brother coming down the road with 400 of his best soldiers. And something takes place, and we hear of it often, when Jacob wrestles with God. It, it, it literally says that he sent his, his family away, and there he wrestled with a man. He wrestled with a man all night. That man touched his hip, gave him a limp for the rest of his life, but he would not let him go until he blessed him. It was in that moment that God began to change Jacob. It was in that space and in that place and that time. It was at that camp moment. It was in that encounter moment that God began to shift something of his future and his destiny. And he said, no longer will your name be Jacob, but it will be Israel because God prevails. God prevails in every situation. Understand tonight, for some of you, before we even get to the message, you need to hear that tonight, that God prevails in your life. When it all feels like it's lost, when it all feels like it's been robbed, God will still push through. He'll get through because he's the God that prevails. And Jacob wrestles with God, he encounters his brother, it's all good, it's a great family reunion. God was supernatural in the way that he would set it up. So they journey on, something goes on in a city and all of a sudden, Jacob is running for his life. And then we read this story. And we see that the story unfolds and God says to him, remember where you encountered me. Remember where you wrestled me. Remember when I began to change your name. Remember in that space and that time in your life, that encounter, that experience that you had with me right there. I want you to remember that. But don't just leave it as an encounter. Don't just leave it as an experience with God. Out of that, out of that moment, set up an altar for me. And I love that story, Musha's story tonight. As we hear from that moment when she encountered God, her life began to set something up of a journey. And what I want to say to the young people tonight, hear me when I say this, don't let camp just be an experience. Don't let camp just be an encounter. Allow some space. Create a place for God in your life that you set up altars to Him. What I've learned about camps is this is that we do encounter God. There is a life change. There is an altered thinking. There is a shift, sometimes just for a little while. But what we do tomorrow, what we set up tomorrow, determines how long we live out everything God has done in our life. I don't think sometimes we get so caught up in the the rat race of life and Christianity that we forget the fact that God is desperately passionate about dwelling with us. See, I think about it like this tonight. that Do do you have a place in your life, maybe in your home? I remember growing up. uh, I remember growing up. My name is Child, so I have an excuse of never having to grow up, but... In, when I was growing up, my mum and dad had a special room, a special room. Has anyone had a special room? And that special room was our front lounge room. It had the special lounges, had the special coffee table, had the special cabinets that held the special cutlery and the special china and uh, there were special pictures in and around those cabinets this was a special room i can actually only remember a couple of times in my life ever seeing the special room get used once one once one time was when a lutheran gentleman actually came around to our house to sell us encyclopedias and i thought man why does he get to use a special room because they bought some off him apparently (laughs) Don't take him to the back room. And another time was when I was making a decision to be water baptized. And I got to use the special room as the pastor came around and talked me through what water baptism meant to me. And I think about it like this in every single one of our lives, do you have a special place for God in your world? Is there a room? In your lifestyle, is there a room in the existence of your world that you've created somewhere, some space, a place, some sort of time in your world for you to not just experience God way back in the day, but for you to set up a place that's an altar that you can continue to go to day after day after day, a reminder of the great things that God has done for you. Because understand tonight, it's great to encounter Him. It's great to experience him. But I would rather experience God every single day of my life. I would rather encounter and find out the mysteries of what he has for my life every single day that I can. I want to set up an altar in my life. See, it's at the altar that Jacob began to remember that God saved him from his stress and his distress. I wonder for you tonight, where were you before you had that encounter with God? Where were you before you had that experience with Him? Where were you before the lights came on and the revelation dropped into your heart and life? where you begin to understand that that you begin to realize that, man, life is more than just nine to five, Monday to Friday. There's got to be something more in the mix. There's got to be something more about this God that I've heard or this this emptiness inside. There's got to be something that needs to fill it. God is desperately passionate about setting up a space to connect with you. See, altars in our life mean a number of different things. When I got married eight years ago, I walked, well I didn't walk, my wife walked down the aisle and we met on another altar. It's the altar of marriage and as she walked down that aisle right then and right there, there was a decision that needed to be made. A decision whether for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Even when, Ben, your breath smells bad, will she still stay married to you? Decisions that needed to be made that day. And we made commitment. We made covenant to one another. We made decisions, choices. And there was an experience that took place that day. But the only thing, the only thing that makes a difference about whether that was a great experience, whether that was a great wedding day, or whether I have a marriage. A wedding day or a marriage in my life is my daily decision to live out of the covenant and commitment and relationship, to live out of that altar and that space that I create. Hey, there's been plenty of times. There's been plenty of times that my wife would have felt, man, who is this guy as good looking as he is? Who is this guy that I married? There's been plenty of times when we've had to work through things. There's been plenty of times where we've had to push through things and make decisions to live out of that covenant. Because understand tonight, it would be easy to say, well, what a great day that was. What a fantastic experience that was. Let's look at the wedding photos. Wow, God did something significant in my life that day. Man, my hair looks good. The cake tasted fantastic. Camp was great. I remember when I was 20 and I went to camp. What an experience. I get warm and fuzzy on the inside when I think about that. Or has it been something that has been a marriage between you and God? Not just a wedding day, but a marriage. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love the fact, I love the fact for you and for me, there was an arranged marriage. There was an arranged marriage before you knew it, before you knew you needed it. He set up a marriage for you. He set up a covenant for you. There was a, a wedding certificate with your name on it already signed by Him in His blood for you and for me. It was already set up an arranged marriage. I love the fact that Jesus... He didn't die. He didn't die in a church building. He didn't die between two lit candles in a Catholic building. He died between two crosses on the hill of Golgotha, arranged and purposed before the breath of time. He decided He would make a commitment and a covenant to you. He would encounter you in ways, in places, in spaces, in moments that you would set up so that God could create something great for you. The Bible actually shows us that these moments that we set up altars is is a word that we call zikaron. It means that monuments that are created for God's greatness. And when Jacob sets up an altar to God, He set something up for his life to show the greatness of this God that we read about tonight. It's a place where he wrestled face to face with God. But now it was time to set up a space for God. So that it wasn't just visitation, but it was a habitation in his life. And tonight, every single person that's in this room, we have an opportunity to set up altars for him. Altars tonight are places that are private. They're places that, it's not about the public passion that we display, but it's about that private personal devotion that we live out of. What I love is seeing the young people this weekend as they've been connecting with God and hearing some of the stories even tonight. As they've been sharing, i got a couple of minutes this afternoon. I began to write down the great things that God had did for me. I began to journal on those things that God spoke to me about, can't. To hear the testimonies, write it down and making it plain so that you can run toward those things that God has for your life. Remembering the moments where you wrestled with God God, do I go this way or do I go that way? But God comes and blesses and meets you. Even just, it's almost like He interrupts your world for just a minute. To expose and illuminate to you who He really is. Altars. See, the problem sometimes that we have is these spaces that we've created for God, these, these spaces that were meant to be set apart and consecrated, separated just for Him. We we put other things in place. For, for some of us, see, I know what your altar is tonight. I can tell. I can actually tell what your altar is in your life tonight. Some of you are like, you don't know me. I know the people that live and do life with you know what your altar is. Because your altar is the first thing that you run to when things get hard. Your altar is the thing that you go to when things get tough. Your altar is the first thing that you turn to as soon as you can't take it anymore. That you feel like you're up against it. That it's, I just can't handle it anymore. I need to get to that space. For some of us, it's people. For some of us with our altars are so full of other people that we go through life and, and it's all almost like our altars have other people standing on them. Say, how can I help you? What can I, what can I do for you? For other of us, in the space that God should be, we've created things of substance. And we fill our altars, we fill our lives with these things that were never supposed to be set up. I was so pumped to see the young people on the first morning as we began to talk about the disciples and a forsaking of things that we need to leave behind, some good, some bad. When Jesus came and spoke to the disciples and said, leave your nets, leave your jobs, leave your parents. They weren't good bad things, they were good things. But sometimes we need to leave those things so we can put away, like God said to Jacob, put away those foreign things so I can put new things in your life. And tonight, we should never allow people in the space of God. You should never allow love or allow someone else. That desire and that space in your life, that is God's and God's alone. Don't love someone so much that you give them your altar. Don't love someone so much that you give them the space that God should have. See, see my understanding tonight, what I've learned, because people have interesting things. Who's a person? Yeah, great. People can do people things, but God can do God things. And when I'm in problems, when I have troubles, when I'm going through things, you know what? I don't need you. I need God. The reason he says to Jacob, go Jacob and set up an altar to God is he says to us tonight, go and set up an altar to God. Don't go and set up an altar to your husband or to your wife. Don't go and set up an altar to that boyfriend or to that girlfriend. Don't go and set up an altar to that drug addiction, that alcoholism, that attitude, that internet problem. Don't set that up as your altar. Set an altar up, a space that was divinely created for his grace. An altar. To God, altars to God. Unfortunately, some of us, we, we've lost our altars. It's like we need to get the rag out and just begin to dust that thing off and go, God, it's been a while. It's been a while, God. For other, uh, others of us, it's, it's like the command that God gave to Jacob and we need to get amongst it and begin to build that altar and that space that God has for our lives. For for some of you, it's just the unwrapping and the unlocking of what is beginning to speak to your life right now. It's like, I'm just learning. I'm just finding out. I'm just discovering like Jacob who wrestled with God. It's almost like the wrestle is on, the UFC smackdown is happening with God. Do I let this go? Do I carry this? Do I take on this? God bless me, speak to me, change me, mold me, make me. Do all those things. And slowly as you do that, you create space for God. But tonight, do you have an altar? Do you have that special place that you've created for him and for you? A place that is number one secret. A place that's a secret place. A place that allows you deep communion with God. A place that is yours and yours alone. A place that you can run to. A place that you can go to. A place that is yours, hidden away, tucked away, that people know you have, but no one has been there. You don't allow anyone. It's tightly closed. It's tightly shut. That's your space. That's your place that you go to with God. That's your time that you allow God to step in and stoop into your world. See... You can't have my altar. You can't have my altar. Because that's my altar. That's the place that I've prayed into. That's the place that I've cried into. That's the place that I've had to fight for. That's the place that I've had to sacrifice for. That's the place that I've had to do my business with God and God has done his business with me. That's my altar. It's a secret place. It's a place that is hidden away from the general populace of humanity. Even the pastor doesn't get into my altar because that's the place I get to go and begin to speak about God. You know what? My altar, it's so secret that I can't, can say things to God there that I could never say to you. I say, I say things in that altar, things about you that I would never say to you. But in that secret place, God deals with it. In that secret place, God changes it. You can't have my altar. It's a secret place. Don't give your altar away. Young people, learn it and learn it now. The greatest thing that I ever did as a 16-year-old young person, was begin to journal and have a relationship with God. It's the altars that I've set up. You know, some of the greatest things that I've learned about my own life, some of the greatest things that God has challenged me, the biggest victories that I've ever overcome have not been in a response to an altar call. It's been in the altar of my heart and the altar of my life that I've set up for God, a secret place that produces that. I love the story of Joshua. In Joshua, after the children of Israel crossed over, they set up the 12 memorial stones for him that the generations would see and the generations would understand as the altar that they would look back to in time and go, God did something great and helped us cross over. But something happens. There's one verse. If You you can go home and read it later. It's in Joshua. And he goes... And it says that the Levites had crossed over. It's in Joshua chapter 4 verse 9. It says that as they crossed over, Joshua goes back. He goes back to the place where the covenant stood in the middle of the Jordan as it parted. And it says that he took 12 stones. Not those 12 stones that would be a monument, but these 12 stones that would become Joshua's altar. It says he placed 12 stones as an altar to God. As a sign and a thanks and an honouring to God of all the great things that he'd done. And it says that nobody else saw it but God and Joshua. There's a secret altar that needs to be made. It produces a secrecy, a, a connection, a deep communion between you and God. Number two tonight, things that altars produce. Altars produce something of sanctity. See, all sanctity talks about it. It talks about being set apart, holiness. It's a purity. It's a space where it's sanctified, set up for what God wants to speak and God wants to do. It's a prepared place, an altar, just like Elijah's altar. Elijah's altar in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20 to 40. It's a place that needs to be set up for what God wants wants to do, set apart, understand tonight God is not a random God. That is why they would create spaces and altars for God. God didn't just go around zapping up sheep and cows off the fields and going, well, thank you for your sacrifice. It says, you bring it. You set it up. Elijah's altar when he stood on Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, 850 prophets in total. Let me stop just here for a second because I want to encourage young people tonight who you feel like you're about, you're about to go back to high school next week and it feels like you don't understand camp is not in my high school. I'm the only Christian in my high school that I know of. Understand, Elijah stood before 850 prophets of Baal. Do you know the average high school today in this country is 850 students? And so even if you are the one person, the one Christian, the one Elijah that sets up an altar for God in your generation and in your high school, maybe God is big enough. God is able enough. He might just come through as you create a sanctified altar it says that he lays the ball it says that he says put water on it put water on the stones douse it out with water and after you've done that do it again And as he lays it, as he prepares it, it says like the consuming fire that the Bible describes him as, it says that he literally licks up the sacrifice, a sanctified altar. As you prepare and create space, God will meet you. As you prepare it, he wants to speak to you. As you prepare it, he'll meet and and begin to open up the things that he has for your life. But it needs to be a place that's sanctified, a secret sanctified place. Number three, I've got eight and I'm going to fast forward a few of them so that we just for time, but it's a place of sacrifice. Altars are a place where fleshly things are bought and killed. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and I love this scripture. It's actually Pastor Danny's favorite chapter in the Bible. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, By the mercies of God, a great merciful God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable, logical service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Present yourselves. Create altars that are places of sacrifice. It's a place that you go. Who has ever struggled with anything in their life? Let me see your hand tonight. I'm glad I'm with friends. Can we get real for a minute? Altars are a place of sacrifice. It's where I get to go. And all the mishaps... All the misconceptions. All the things that I've carried and all the things that aren't of him. Like Paul said, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. As we create altars for God, it's a place where our flesh man begins to die. And we come as living sacrifices. Only holy and only acceptable because of what he did for us. Because of his sacrifice this morning, tonight. Sacrifice, it's like David's altar in 1 Chronicles 21 who says, I will not create something and I will not build something for God, that which does not cost me something. It's a sacrifice. Number four, it's a place of safety. Moses' altar, it's a place I've learned through the altars of my life. I've learned in the altars of other people's lives that sometimes you learn things in times of trouble. If you've got a place that you can run to, if you've got a place that you've set up for God, there's spaces and there's places that you can go to, you can turn to, that there's safety in Moses. When Moses sets up an altar in Exodus 17 verse 5, it says that, And Moses built an altar and called its name. The Lord is my banner. There's safety when you set up space for God. There's somewhere to run to. When it doesn't feel like there's anywhere else you can go, you can go to that place that you've created for God. Altars to God. Altars to God. Number four, it's a place of service. Gideon's altar, Judges 6, 20 to 24. Go and read it. Gideon's altar, it's a place of service where you begin to learn what I love about this. And I've seen how your young people serve. So I know this is a, this is a church of service. This is a church of a volunteer army. That if you learn to do the service here, when God brings you out and promotes you and brings you into a place of authority and leadership and gets you to begin to speak publicly, if you've developed it privately, then when it's out there, no one will question your integrity. Because altars are a place that produce service. Altars tonight are a place of sovereignty, they're a place of sovereignty. They're a place that we'll begin to learn who God really is. This isn't a fortune cookie Christianity. We don't get to just walk up to God and go, Crack it. Well, what's my lot in life? Fantastic. Well, your life is ruined. Well, isn't that great? What's the point of living? Oh, well, let's try again. Crack. Fantastic. Today is going to bring great things. Fantastic. And then everything feels like it's up against you. It's a place where you begin to learn the sovereignty of God. I, I, we learned this. We learned this, man. Me and my wife, we learned this. Not so long ago, when my wife was pregnant, she was carrying a baby. Nearly halfway through, there were some complications. And I know in a room like this, there'd be other people that have been through a similar situation. I don't want to upset you or make you awkward tonight, but this is my story. And we lost that baby. And I remember driving home from the hospital trying to work it out, trying to think, man, what's this mean? We, we preach this gospel. We, we talk about the things of God. We talk about the greatness of God, the good things he does. And I didn't question at God, but I, I just tried to work out how is this possible? It was in that time that, you know what, I couldn't go to my friends. Some of them didn't know what that was like. Other people had had similar experiences, but this was our journey. This was something that we went through. It was a private thing. It was a thing that we didn't really even open up, and I only talk about it now because it's been passed, and there's other great things that have happened since then that I'll talk to you about in a second. But it was in that moment that if we hadn't had altars, we wouldn't have discovered the sovereignty of God. We wouldn't have realized that it was through that pain and those, the weight of that situation that we understood there was a place that we could go to to begin to realise and understand that God still was who He says He was. See, it's not about whether you believe He's a healer. It's not even about whether you believe He's a provider. It's not even about whether you can do what you need Him to do. What all you need to do is learn the sovereignty in that altar and begin to get a revelation and an understanding and a belief system. If God is who He says He is, then He is who He says He is. If God says He is, the I am. If He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, Philippians 1 verse 6, if what I start, I will complete. If he says he is who he is, then all the rest can take care of itself. He is a sovereign God. He's above it all. He's over it all. We sit here in the victory that even a few months after that, we got pregnant. And just over a year ago, we, my wife gave birth to honor our third child. Now she wants more. I'm telling her just to settle down. Get a dog. <laughs> Altars are a place of sovereignty. They're places of secret. They're places of the sacrifice. They're places of sanctity. They're places that we can go and learn that there's safety and service and the sovereignty of God. And I want to stop right here for just two minutes. But number seven tonight, we see, and you can unlock, this is all in the scripture. And, and, and you know, you can have a look at this, but in... Uh, Verse Chapter 35, verse 10, it says this, And God said to Jacob, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but it shall be called Israel, shall be your name. So he called him Israel. God reminded him of that promise that he spoke to him not so long ago when he encountered him. See, altars tonight, and not just a place of His sovereignty, but they're a place of your status. They're a place that you go to to begin to learn who God is, but then you begin to discover who you are. See, there's people in this place tonight and you've been told your whole life, just like Jacob had been told, you're a heel grabber, you're a fraudster, you're a supplanter, you'll never amount to anything. What good thing could come of your life? How could you do that? You're not able to do that. God hasn't even given you that. Your mum told you of this. Your dad didn't even tell you anything. That teacher said this over you. And your whole life, you've walked under the shadow of what other people's opinion and other Other people say, but when you get into an altar with God, you begin to discover the status of who he birthed you, who he created you, who he's beginning to say and prophesy over your life that you are. You're no longer Jacob, but you're Israel. See, altars are a place that we go to, not just to discover who he is, but who we are. And I know in a room like this, one of the biggest questions I get who am I? What's God going to do in my life? What's that look like? You know what? I can't tell you. But when you create an altar, he can. And as the musicians come tonight, the last thing that altars produce the last thing. And for me, probably one of the most powerful things is altars produce a place of salvation. It's a place that we can go to. It's created space that we can go. It's the altar, see, for for me and my wife, for me and my life. It's, It's the place that has saved me time and time again. When I couldn't work it out, that altar saved me. When, when we were going through tough times, not just with the physical, but with financial, I wish I had time to talk to you about some of the blessings that God has done in my life. But it's it's been some of those places that that altar has been the thing that has saved my life. That altar has been the thing that saved my kids' life. That altar has been the place that has saved my marriage, my friendships, my relationship, even with God. My ministry, what I do for God and everything that flows out of my life. That altar has been a place of salvation. And aren't you glad tonight, that, like we said about that there was an arranged marriage, that there was an altar? 2,000 years ago, it wasn't an altar of wood. It wasn't even an altar of a heart. It was a wooden altar, an altar that got carried 200 metres, weighing 50 kilos up the hill of Golgotha. It was an altar that got bled over. It was an altar that he cried over. It was an altar that he went through pain and bruising and suffering like Isaiah 53 verse 1 to 10. It talks about what he did. The Bible describes that he was a silent lamb. He went to the slaughter without Saying a word for you and for me. It was the altar that he created for you as an altar that was secret. It was an altar that he would sacrifice himself on. It was an altar that had been prepared before the beginning of time, sanctified, set apart, holy and pure, acceptable to God. It was an altar that would prove his sovereignty. It was an altar that would prove that he is who he says he is. It was an altar that would begin to show up. Us and begin to describe to us the great things and the status that he would take you to. It was an altar of wood. Jesus' altar was that cross. And that altar, that altar is the thing that saves me. That altar that day, 2,000 years ago, before I knew I needed saving, he had decided to save me anyway. That altar was an altar of salvation. And I wonder tonight if we could stand to our feet with the question in our minds and in the thought in our hearts tonight of do I have an altar? Have I created space? Have I created a place for God in my life? Or have I just experienced him? Do I come to church week in and week out and go, fantastic. Well, Pastor Tony, he got it to this week. He's on the money. Mm, Not so good this week. And we judge what God does in our life by a meeting or by an event or by a service. Or do we walk out of here each day going, that was fantastic. Every week is good when I get to church. Because through the week I've had an altar. I've dealt with my flesh. I've dealt with my problem. I've dealt with those things so I can walk in. And to this altar, to this space, to this corporate altar, we walk in ready to receive and hear everything that God wants to say to us. But have you created that? And I don't want people to feel uncomfortable. I hope tonight has challenged you but stirred you to a place of conviction. Young people, tonight as we've experienced God, just like Jacob did, Let's now set up altars in our lives. Let's set up spaces where camp doesn't stay at today, but it begins tomorrow. And the last altar I want to talk about tonight, I began the camp talking about it. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 of a man who was a captain of the army. His name was Naaman. He wasn't a man, he wasn't a godly man, but he had leprosy. And leprosy, for those of you who don't know, it's a disease that eats, eats out your nerve endings and sort of does funny things to you. It begins to to rot out those things, and you will walk along, you, you lose feeling and sensation. It's a picture, leprosy is a picture for us of sin, of what sin does on the inside of our lives as we go through life, being eaten out. Sometimes we do the wrong things and we don't even know that we're bumping into this thing, being bruised this way. It desensitizes you to the things of God. That's what sin does. And here's Naaman, he's got leprosy. And the prophet Elisha says to him, go and dip in the river seven times. Why would I want to dip in the river seven times? Can't you say something? Can't you just say a chant? Can't you just wave your magic wand and all things? He goes, I don't get it. God says, go dip seven times. He goes and dips seven times. And on the seventh time, he comes up totally healed and totally restored. Aren't you glad he dipped seven times and not six? Man, you need to, you need to be obedient to God. Maybe there's something he wants to complete. You just need to go again. You need to go to that altar again. But what I love about it, I love Naaman's attitude. He goes back to Elisha. And he says, Elisha, is there something that I can honor your God with? Is there something I can give your God? And Elisha says, my God doesn't need anything. And Naaman's response, a hungry man, says, well, if he's not going to give, if take anything from me, is there something that I can take? And Elisha says, well, go for it, whatever you want. He says, well, can you load up my two meals? with all the dirt they can carry. Because the place that I go to is not a holy place. It's not a place with God. It's not a place where they worship you. But when I take that dirt, I'll take that dirt and I will set up altars for God. And will you remember me? Will your God remember me as I go back to that place and create altars for Him? This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen God bless.